Is it fair to say that an underlying thesis of your book, if not the thesis, is that the way the NBA or basketball as a whole, not even just the NBA, basketball as a whole is coached is wrong? Hi, everyone. This is Ben Guest, and welcome to my podcast that's dropping Monday, November 1st. This is a big day because my book, Zen and the Art of Coaching Basketball, Memoir of a Namibian Odyssey, drops today. It's available exclusively on Amazon. You can buy it as a hardcover, as a paperback, or as an ebook. Again, that's Zen and the Art of Coaching Basketball, Memoir of a Namibian Odyssey. So for today, doing something a little bit different with the podcast, I asked a friend of mine, Dre Alvarez, who has his own great podcast, The Box Score Geeks, if he would be interested in interviewing me about the book for his podcast, which he thought was a great idea, and we then decided we'll cross-post the interviews. So Dre is releasing his podcast today with with this interview, and then I'm using the same audio for my podcast. So even though it's my podcast, it's really Dre interviewing me about Zen and the art of coaching basketball. I've split the podcast into two parts. So this is part one, which is dropping Monday, November 1st, and then part two will drop Thursday, November 4th. Enjoy, and please consider going on Amazon and buying my book. Thanks. All right. Welcome back to another Box Score Geek show. Sorry it's been a while, but if we're going to come out of retirement, it's for a very good reason. We have special guest, teasing it right there today, Ben Guest. Ben Guest, you may recognize from the uh, Benbo newsletter. Ben, you are a coach, uh, a teacher, a scholar, a writer. And the reason we have Ben Guest on today's show is to talk his new book. So uh, Ben, why don't I let you take it away with the intro now that I've talked over you so much? Great. Thanks so much for having me on. Longtime listener and fan of um, Box Score Geeks. And of course, we've got to know each other offline through the magic of the internet. So it's great to connect here. And you've been on my podcast a couple of times talking Ted Lasso, which has been great. And I'm happy to come on and talk my new book, which releases today, Zen in the Art of Coaching Basketball, Memoir of a Namibian Odyssey. And it's available as a hardcover, paperback, and ebook, all on Amazon.com. In in uh, the interest of transparency, as you mentioned, you said it's releasing today, so we're recording this for the first of November. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll say we're recording this a little early, so if you're like, "Why aren't they talking about the Nuggets or whatever?" which I know is our normal purview, <laughs> but we're going to focus on the books. We don't know what's happened at the NBA, but I can only assume that uh, Nikola Jokic has led the Nuggets to the top of the Western Conference standings by now. So let's hope that happens. One of the things, I'm I'm gonna take a big swing here. I'm gonna give this to you. Is it fair to say that an underlying thesis of your book, if not the thesis, is that the way the NBA, or basketball as a whole, not even just the NBA, basketball as a whole is coached is wrong? Yes, 100%. That is the thesis. The thesis of the book is the way we think about coaching is wrong. And the NBA probably gets it more right than most places because you have a coach who's the manager of a team and everybody on the team likely makes more money than the coach and likely not everybody, but some players have more power than the coach. And so the coach really has to treat people as equals and can't just yell and scream and tell people to get on the line and run suicides and, you know, threaten people and threaten to cut people and so on and so forth. So, But in high school and in college, the traditional model of coaching 
is still very much alive. And it's a model that's based in obedience. The coach is the unquestioned person in charge. And you as the player have to do what the coach says. And when I was a younger coach uh, at the age of 27, became a head coach at a school in Mississippi, public school in Mississippi, that's the way I coached. And it was a fucked up way to coach. It's a stupid way to coach. But I was um, not obsessed, but I felt that, you know, having, making sure the players respected me, quote unquote, was the most important thing. And making sure that um, rather than, than seeing people's individuals and everybody's dealing with their own individual stuff, and never mind that the things you're doing as a coach outside of wins and losses is the most important thing. I was just focused on wins and losses, but never mind that I wasn't focused on the important stuff. I wasn't even seeing players as individuals. It was more, how can I make sure the team does what I say? And then my thinking was that will translate into wins, which of course is stupid. Well, let's, uh, let me do a quick uh, overview. So we kind of decided I'm not going to do spoilers on what I consider as the important part of the book, which is a lot of what I, it sounds weird because they're real people, but character development. You have some mm -hmm. fantastic character development, including you. Ben, ben is a major character in this book who has an amazing arc. But essentially, the way I've described this to myself is this is like a, a, a modern day remake of Hoosiers that is logical and in some ways better than Hoosiers. You don't have a, a silly romantic subplot that makes no sense in the middle of your book, unlike Hoosiers. It's, it's, it's a modern day Hoosiers that is in some way, some ways better. And what ends up happening is, is Ben Guest, well, let's, let's do the movie, let's do the Hollywood movie pitch this. Ben Guest is, is a successful, uh, well-paid uh, education consultant in Mississippi. And Ben decides he's unhappy with his life and one day looks on the internet because he went to Peace Corps in Namibia in his younger, more youthful, more bright-eyed, bushy-tailed days, goes on the internet and sees that there is a, an opening for a teaching position at a high school in Namibia and leaves behind the cutthroat nature of the United States, uh, you know, rat race, and goes to teach in Namibia. And while there, decides to coach basketball for the high school team, which day one, I mean, come on, like I said, you can't even script it this way. One of your future star players, like trips doing one of the most basic basketball drills. And, and Ben is thinking, what am, what am I getting into? I'm, I'm, I'm right. I'm watching the movie pitch going in my head. This is playing perfectly. So that happens. And somehow you take this team to the state championship in high school basketball. I'm not going to ruin what happens there. And then of course, the most logical thing to happen there is you say, this team's got like two players who could go pro in Namibia. So the most logical thing for you to do, Ben, is take this high school basketball team that went to the state championship, the, right. the high school championship the year before, and you turn them into a pro team the next year. And yeah. then this I'm okay giving away, but the rest you have to read because it's amazing. You have the biggest playoff run and upset in the history of Namibian basketball with this core of players. And it mm -hmm. is just amazing. And you write about so much stuff that we're going to talk about, but that's, that's, I mean, you know, like I said, modern day Hoosiers, but better is what I think of your book. And, and it was, it, it flew. It's not a long read. It flew. And there's so much in there that you packed in. It was very enjoyable. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. I, so I'd been a teacher and then I worked at the university of Mississippi for, so I've been in Mississippi for 12 years. And before that I've been a Peace Corps volunteer in Namibia. And then I'd actually left Mississippi for a year and was doing consulting and 
working in Atlanta and in Massachusetts. And I was just unhappy. And on a lark, I just looked up this international school that I knew about in Namibia. And within, I don't know, six weeks of emailing them, I was on a, on a plane with a two-year contract. And I just kind of fell into coaching, not at that school, but at a local public school um, that needed a coach. And we just had this great high school run. And then, as you said, uh, we took the, the core team, the core of the guys, and turned them into a, a professional league team, the Blue Devils Basketball Club. And it's funny, you know, something Steve Jobs said in his famous Stanford address, you only connect the dots afterwards. So at the time, we had this magical playoff run in the professional league, which is called the KBA. But we were 500 in the regular season and just barely, barely made the playoffs. Just a, we, we had a tiebreaker with another team and they had beaten us by one point and we had beaten them by three points, I think is what it was. No, they we had beaten them by four points and they'd beaten us by three points. So Jeez. by virtue of that one point tiebreaker, we had one more point between those two games. We made the playoffs and they didn't. And so during the season, it's even as much as the book is about mindfulness and meditation and, and not getting too high or not getting too low, there were frustrations because you don't know if you're going to make the playoffs. Um, you have little personality things that pop up with various players and it's only afterwards that you're like, whoa, this, this really was like a movie. Um, and, I, and I kept sort of a email to family and friends back home during the playoff run. And that's what everybody said afterwards. They were like, this is like a movie. This is, if, you wrote, if you wrote this as a script, it's too unbelievable. I, I won't take us too far down this tangent because we have two fantastic, I'll promote ourselves, Ben, podcast episodes on Ted Lasso. But yeah. here, I've got to give this amusement to you. So yeah. most recent episode, season of Ted Lasso, middle of the season, they're this middling 500 team. And by sheer virtue of the logic of how the league they're in and that works, they have to go on a historic run to end out Ted Lasso like they do. Don't want to spoil that either. Go watch the show. But the show being Ted Lasso doesn't focus on it at all. So how weird was it for you to watch that story? Like your, 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 your media that you're watching for mm -hmm. fun, to relax, you're watching mm -hmm. and you're like, oh, I did that. How, how bizarre is that? <laughs> well, yeah, I love Ted. We, both of us love Ted Lasso. And, and for my podcast, we've recorded two episodes that are two of the most downloaded episodes ever uh, where we talk Ted Lasso. So it's interesting because Ted, I love Ted. One of the things I love about Ted Lasso is it presents a model of positive coaching. What's interesting is that's not my personality. That's not how I coached. Um, so I didn't equate what, coach lasso is doing so much to what i did because even though when i returned to coaching in my late 30s in namibia i was a much different coach than i had been and i'd gotten into meditation and i'd done research for my phd around how people learn and performance and implemented all these things that turns out made a difference but it, these are all ted lasso's not doing any of those things ted lasso's not having the team meditate before practice. Ted Lasso's not having the team practice without the ball. Ted Lasso's not having players do slow motion without the ball movements to sort of groove the muscle memory, or not the muscle memory, to groove the neural pathways in your brain. So we're different coaches, but I, and Ted Lasso has a much higher EQ, emotional intelligence, 
than than I have. So I appreciate that it's a positive model, but I didn't sort of relate. Last I was doing the same thing I did because we're such. Well, I was coaches. just saying the team, and I was more amused yeah. that right. You basically wrote a book that's about this amazing run. It's so fun to listen to. There's one thing I'm debating. We'll see later in the show if I want it. You have one of the best lines in the book that I may may have to make it on the podcast, Ben. I don't want to spoil yeah, the book, go ahead. but it's too good. All right, let's let's do it early. Which is you're you're having an interview with another coach, and this is very rocky. This is perfect, right? You guys are again. This this movie writes itself. That's a that's a question. I'll, I'll throw to the end. I'll revisit this, but I'm going to ask you like licensing this right this this is a movie script i hate to tell you that but it is um and you you've taught everything else on your podcast your podcast has become i'm not sure because i haven't looked for this ben but your podcast has slowly transformed into what i would consider like the how-to in self-publishing you've mm-hmm, had amazing yeah. authors on you've had people about like how you how you'd market a book we're going to talk that at the end maybe the next step for you to at least know about and get familiarity with is like okay i've got this amazing book how do I turn it into media? How does it become a television show or a movie? Or how do I even try, right? How do I get it out? Right, there? right. But, uh, but we'll get back to that. But okay, so you've got this great back and forth, you and the opposing coach. So you're having the back and forth. You go on the radio two times. And you know, the first time he's like, we're going to stomp them. And mm-hmm. you're deferential. And then you win. So I'll give mm-hmm. that away. You come back and he goes, they were lucky. And your response, Ben Guest on the ball, you know, slam dunk, he's on fire. Yeah, a lucky sweep. Exactly. Because, go ahead. Yeah, I'll let you talk. I was going to say, favorite part of the book, we got to hear you talk about that. Yeah, that was Alan. So Alan was the sort of combination player coach on the the team that we beat in the first round of the playoffs, which was a huge upset because they were the number one seed. Their name of the team is the Wolves. And they're still in existence. And they're still probably the top team in the KBA. And so Alan was their star player and their player coach and i think part of it was they didn't even think they needed a separate coach they were just so good and they dominated the league and they beat us twice and both times we played them in the regular season and alan and i became friends throughout the course of my years in basketball there and but he's very much the alpha dog very much the you know i'm always in charge i'm always you know he's cocky um, and at that time, he was probably 29, like literally in the prime of his basketball career and phenomenal player, sort of a LeBron James, just do it all player. And we beat them. Like you said, it was a sweep. And on the radio the next day or a few days later, he was still a little bitter about it. And so <laughs> I think to justify, he was like, yeah, they got lucky. And so that's why I was like, yeah, it was a lucky sweep. You know, you don't, you don't, you get lucky by winning the game seven, right. Or game five, like the Denver Nuggets against the Sonics back in the day, but to sweep somebody, it's a little more than luck. Okay. One thing I want to ask you, it's huge about this book is the metamorphosis of Ben. It's really weird to talk about you as a Mm. character and a person right here, but (laughs) something amazing, as you mentioned, right. So young out of young out of grad school, but you know, 27 is young. If you've done Peace Corps. And I, I think you just had your master's at that point. Yep. Yep. But you're about 27 years old and you, you, I don't know what, what, what was the situation? Cause you basically got to assistant coach for an amazing basketball team. And, and so mm-hmm. how did that kind of come about where you got, where you got the opportunity to go on that team? Cause that was like, from what I understand, an amazing coach, a really good team. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, this is, this, this is another book on its own, by the way, is, is you had uh, Jasper Johnson, 
led by a star, Jasper Johnson, who's for real. One of these days, Ben, I'm going to write some posts up about his stats because they're actually pro phenomenal. Like he didn't get to mm-hmm. the NBA, but he made it to the G League. Uh, he made it to a Korean league and his numbers look legit. He's a, he's a pro player. So you, you make mm-hmm. it, you, you win a state championship next to this person. How did you end up as an assistant coach? I'm like that. Te- Cause that team, it was pretty obvious. That team was a, was a contender. So that's Simmons high school in Hollandale, Mississippi. So after Peace Corps, I joined this program called the Mississippi teacher Corps, And they, it's sort of like a domestic Peace Corps for the Mississippi Delta. And they placed me at Simmons high school. I had no say, I had no idea. It's just where they placed me. And I walked in on day one and it was an English teacher. And I said, I'd like to, you know, work with the basketball team as an assistant coach. And they made me the assistant coach under this legendary coach who'd been there for 25 years, a guy named George Willis, who, when he retired, was combined the all-time winningest high school basketball coach in Mississippi history because he because he coached both boys and girls. So he combined with both teams, he'd won championships with both teams. He was the, he had more wins than anybody at that time. And so I just had a front row seat and we had this great team of six seniors who'd been to the final four for the state championship the previous two years. So I literally just walked into a team totally random that was loaded and was motivated and uh, they were ready to go. And we were led by a kid named Jasper Johnson, who's just one of the most special people I've ever been around. And he passed away suddenly in July of this year. And he was 30, I think he was 36, maybe. And so I recorded a podcast episode called Remembering Jasper Johnson, that where I talk with some of some of his teammates, some of the guys that I coached. uh, And we spent an hour just reminiscing about what a special person and an unbelievable player Jasper was. And, And he led us to the championship. And I'll, and I'll, so first off, I got to throw this out about your book because mm. you don't, you don't really dwell on either of this. So you're telling me and just your natural Ben walk around his day, day-to-day life mm-hmm. in two situations, you fell onto a, basically the equivalent of like a state championship team. At, at you, you, it, it wasn't, it wasn't intentional. It wasn't like you were, it wasn't like you were scouring Namibian websites and going, okay, what, which team yeah. has the strongest set of players? I'm going to, I'm going to ask them. You, you even said it wasn't the school you wound up in. You weren't looking, despite, I'm, I'm assuming you've been a basketball fan, coach, fan your entire life. It sounds like if you were asking to do it mm-hmm. right out of school, you just get placed there. So that, that happens twice. Two times in your life, you were placed on a championship squad by a lark. To quote one of my favorite movies, this David Mamet movie called Spartan, and a character in that movie kind of misquotes Napoleon, says, give me a man who's lucky. Absolutely. And I, and I will say, so that was what was fascinating to me. I'll only spend a brief bit of time about this. So Jasper Johnson, if, mm. you, if you do nothing else from this podcast, which I feel bad, only a little bit bad, Ben. So mm-hmm. first, first go buy Ben's book. And to explain something, although we might do this more at the end, is like part of what really helps small book publishers like yourself, if something comes up on your show regularly, is like getting those sales numbers up, getting Mm-hmm. 30, 40 people to all buy it on Amazon on the same day is huge. So, yep. you know, in some cases you go, well, why doesn't, why don't I send Ben $20? And then he, you know, and then he has the money and it's going, the frustrating reality is right. That little bit of extra, you, you tell Amazon, I like Ben, Amazon puts Ben higher on the charts that helps you long-term for future stuff. So that's, that's a full thing. We may consolidate that a little. All right. So. Right. And let me just say to that, Dre, you know, so the goal is my goal is to have somewhere around 100 sales on day one. So Monday, November 1st, have 100 sales of the book. 
And as long as Michael Jordan or somebody, you know, John Grisham doesn't release a basketball themed book, that should be enough to get it to the number one spot on several of the Amazon lists like coaching basketball and maybe even the general basketball category. So the first day and first week sales are important because then the Amazon algorithm kicks in and starts recommending, in this case, my book to other people who buy basketball books. So if Absolutely. you listen to this in the first week, that's really when that purchase can make a difference. And I mean, that is the interesting thing. When, when we talk small creators, small people, it's like, how can you help them out? Obviously money, money talks, but you know, for a lot of us, you know, that, that adds up quickly. We like so many people that even two or three bucks a person, but it's like, if you're able to, to help someone sales on a site that tracks such things that helps a ton. So do that first. And then number two is go listen uh, to, to your, your um, episode on Jasper Johnson. And then mm. also I, I'll throw this out just before we get going, I'll, I'll say an amazing kind of bittersweet thing for you about that. So when I was reading your book, Jasper Johnson shows up and he's a paragraph. And it's an mm-hmm. interesting thing where I was like, oh, I get it, right? We can't, it's not the time to talk about him, but I'm glad he made the book. But what I'd say is you had a podcast episode where just off the cuff, you and, and your guests are talking effusive about Jasper Johnson. And mm-hmm. I don't know if Jasper got a chance to hear that, but I mean, it is, in life, it's a lot of stuff sucks. This, this last year has shown that. So when you get yeah. like the bittersweet part, so I'd say there, there's some bittersweetness in the fact that you were able to say nice things about your friend to a big audience. I'll yeah, and, and it's a shame. I know we might talk process here in a bit. It's a shame that, so that story, that high school championship that we won, this little tiny town in the Mississippi Delta, the school is literally bordered by rows of cotton. And the school is essentially all black. I think there were two white students out of, you know, nine through 12. And 99% of the students are on free or reduced lunch. And we win the state championship. And it's a great story. And what I found was so helpful for this book, which is about my coaching in Namibia, is that I had these real-time emails that I've been sending to family and friends. And without that, and then I had journals that I kept when I was a Peace Corps volunteer. Without those two things, I don't know that I could have written this book, or I don't know if it would have been anywhere near as good because I can sort of actually have the actual dialogue of what people said because I wrote it down either in my journal or in an email a day or two later. And I don't have anything like that from my time in Hollandale, my time at Simmons. And so I'd, you know, I'd love to do like almost a companion book or just that story because the, the guys are so great, but I just, I don't have any sort of, you know, it, it, I didn't keep track at the time. And I, I found that too, because one thing I did was I started, look, so um, in preparation for, for this interview, I started trying to look up some of your coaching stuff. So I, I want to explain, mm-hmm. um, I'll get back to that in a bit, but we'll talk a little bit more of your, your coaching history and stuff there. I definitely want to do it. Mm-hmm. And of course, what happens though, is even for Simmons High School, it only goes back to 2009. So when I'm trying to look up high school stats and stuff, just the stuff isn't, isn't as freely there. That is one nice thing about the social media era. And like you're saying, email stuff is right with modern day where everything is saved. You want to start piecing together a story, but if it's before 2009, that, that gets really rough. Yeah. You're looking at this coaching job. And I mean, this is like, just, you know, if you're talking start of a coaching career, just be in touch, right? It's like, you see how it's done. I, I don't want to necessarily say too much about, I think you said George Willis was the coach's name, mm-hmm. but yeah. I've got to imagine based on what you kind of say in the book, he was more traditional because you've been an assistant coach on a state championship squad. 
you get your own team um, another year or two later. Yep. And you you do the wise thing. You're like, okay, I've got this new job. I'm going to go train. This is in the book. And you go you go train. You go to camps by Bob Knight and Mike Krzyzewski. And mm-hmm. you, we even talked a little bit about this on uh, I think two or three podcast episodes ago we've done before. But you get to you get to learn under them. And of course, the basically what you say is they're the exact same philosophy. The difference being Krzyzewski's nice to people not on the court. Bob Knight's an asshole to everybody, but both of them are these yell, scream, do what I say, et cetera, et cetera. hundred percent. And they both, you know, Krzyzewski now, Knight maybe about 10 years ago, were the all-time or are the all-time winningest coaches in NCAA men's basketball history. And of course, Krzyzewski played for Knight. Knight's just a total asshole. Um, He was an asshole to everybody around him. As a coach sitting in the arena at the coaching clinic, you know, we didn't interact with, Bob Knight, but you could just see the way that he talked down to the student managers, to um, the players, to the women's coach. It was, he was just the little king of everything. And as a young coach and as, and Bob Knight was someone who was celebrated as maybe the greatest coach of all time, the greatest college coach of all time. He could win more with less. You you, you take in the good and the bad because there were great things that he did. He was incredible with organization and how he ran practice, incredible with strategy and understanding of the game and how to attack his own, how to attack man-to-man, how to play man-to-man, but just, just did not treat people well. And at that time, I didn't see enough or know enough to be able to separate those two things and say, okay, I need to take from this bin and I need to leave this bin alone. And so one of the things that, that Knight said at that practice, he was yelling at the team. He said, I will turn this practice into a fucking track meet because they weren't paying attention enough or focused enough or whatever. And then when I got my head coaching job, so that was in the summer. And then I had a head coaching job um, that fall. And I said the exact same line to the, to the students that I coached, the players that I coached, I'll turn this practice into a fucking track meet. And so you, And I think back on that time, and there were probably 500 high school coaches in that coaching clinic, and all of them are are receiving this model, and many of them are probably going back like I did and emulating that model, training a future generation of coaches, because obviously some of the players they coach will become coaches. And it was all, and still is to some extent, all accepted as, by, by some people as that's just good coaching. And the big, like the underlying, like I said, despite the fact that this, this is a made for Hollywood sports movie book, which and that that's how you hooked, like, you, you, mm-hmm. you know, was easy. But your underlying theme, as we discussed at the top, is really about coaching is done wrong, right? Yeah. So much of yep. coaching is done wrong. Yep. And so here's an easy hook on that. So you, you start with that mindset. And let me ask your justification this, because I think I think you also we, we may or may not get time to talk this much because you're everywhere, Ben. You you just you touch some NBA team needs to hire you because you're good luck because you also did a documentary called Showtime, which is fantastic about uh, the Lady Lions who go on to Thank you. win a state championship because apparently everywhere Ben goes, they win the championship. So just I'll leave, throw I'll that out there a, to the world. A, a funny story about that. So Showtime. Um, so when I was working at the University of Mississippi, I got into documentary filmmaking and got to know a high school coach and a high school team that was about an hour from Oxford, Mississippi, where the university is located. And so ended up 
pitching the idea of following the team for a season and ended up making a documentary called Showtime, which you can see on Vimeo. It's, I think it's vimeo.com slash beguest. It's where my movies are, my documentaries are. And that team ends up winning the state championship. <laughs> but what's, what's funny about that is there was one day where the coach, Coach Thompson, couldn't make practice. And he called me and he said, hey, could you come run practice today? Instead of like bringing your, you know, instead of me going up there and filming practice, it was like, because he knew I'd coached and he knew Mr. Willis and so forth. And he said, hey, could you come up and run practice for me? So uh, I can say that I coached that team for one day. Um, so I have like one one thousandth of a, of, of a claim to them winning the championship. Well, let's, so on that though, let, let's, let's talk a little bit about early mm -hmm. Ben coach, even where you were at then, because what I'll say is in that documentary, at one point, there is the track meet ish line. If I recall, I don't yeah. know it. I, I have not memorized the document, but he makes the, the coach yells something about like, do this right. Or we're going to be running laps. But then he makes the line, like, we're not going to be, we're not going to get tired against anybody. Right. So that's in some ways for that line of thinking. And maybe with that particular, that I don't want to justify it. What I want to say is you can start seeing the seeds of justification there of the, the track meet. Like I'm going to make my people run laps, but the reason I'm doing it is they're going to be really well conditioned to win. And one of my favorite sports movies that you and I talked, it actually made the cutting room floor, but was a miracle. Uh, Coach Herb Brooks does the same. He basically says he, he, he is very much the crack, the whip, blow the whistle, run laps, run laps, run laps. If you screw up at some point, he makes the justification I want you, you know, I don't want you to get tired against any of our opponents. So you can kind of see the gem of why some of this catches on. But so you but start actually, with let's let's let, let, okay. let's pause there. I want to see if you have a counter to that actually. Yeah. Yeah, because where is our traditional model of coaching? In what is it rooted? Right? Because think about the language around coaching. You know, the we're gonna run suicides. Um, the troops were going into battle, which you just said, crack the whip. What does crack the whip harken oh back to? Yeah. Right. That's... So this traditional model is it's like, as I learned during um, Black Lives Matter protest, policing in this country is rooted in organized bands, organized groups that went to recapture slaves in the north if they had escaped the plantation and crossed into the north. Right. So just that line of like crack the whip, um, it's probably rooted in slavery. And of course, certainly what you have in the NCAAs, college basketball, college football, you have almost all white head coaches coaching almost all who are making hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. Millions. Coaching millions almost NCAA, all. Yeah. Almost all black players, many of whom come from places like Hollandale. And are playing for free and are, are um, taking physical punishment, long-term health consequences on their bodies for free to provide entertainment, again, for a majority white audience. So I think, and, and I try to make this point in the book a little bit, just with a light touch, in, the, in a place like Namibia, which was under apartheid under South Africa for so long, it's, this, it's a similar kind of thing of, there's this command and control model that's rooted in this really fucked up stuff that seeps into all of our culture, including sports, including coaching. Yeah. And so you're like, I, and so it's interesting because you're even, you're even counting it from the, the get go where I'm saying 
you know, you might have some justification for some of those coaching techniques, maybe. Mm, but mm -hmm. I'm, what I'm going to ask is, so you, you start there. And of course, you end in this very meditative. One thing that we've already talked on, on some of the podcasts about is you guys win a key game. Mm -hmm. And you have a friend in the stands. I love this part. It's in the book and it's on the podcast. It's one. Of, it's a great story. I love this. This has to be a soundbite when you make bigger and better than the box score geeks talking about this book, Ben. Mm -hmm. Your friends in the audience, you guys have just won one of the most amazing games in the history of this basketball league. And she mm -hmm. goes, I didn't think the game was over because none of you all reacted. You were all just calm. Mm -hmm. You, I think the, the, mm -hmm. the player, I'm going to, let's make sure I don't mess it up. Jack. Jack. Jack messed it up already. You said he gave a fist pump. And by the way, you said he was going to be my favorite. That is, that is definitely true because the little fist pump, that's, that's what I do. I, I, and I actually made the observation, sorry to make this about me briefly. When I got my master's degree, I basically did that. And I made the equation to someone where I said, it's really weird that I spent all of this work on this degree. And at the end of it, the kind of emotion and response I gave it uh, was about the same as a really good game of mini golf. Now, I wasn't thinking of that as like proof of me doing things right, of moderating my emotions, which is something you talk about being huge in life and in sports in this book. But that's, that's what the person you said, this guy's going to be your favorite. That's what he did. Pivotal moment, mm -hmm. pivotal moment. He's, he's just, he's done something infinitely harder than getting a master's degree, fist mm -hmm. pump. That's a really good game of mini golf. Yeah, it, it's, it was, it's one of my favorite moments as a coach. And it, as he's the same player, Jack is the same player who, on the very first day of practice, a year and a half earlier, tripped and fell because he couldn't do a defensive slide. And in that game that we won, that you're referencing, he made the key move in the key play of the game, the sideline out of bounds play that we were running. The other team, the coach kind of sniffed out what we were doing and had his team adjust on the fly. Differences in coaching styles. He's standing up kind of yelling and directing the guys like it's a video game. And I'm just sitting watching, watching what happens. And Jack reacted in the moment and just made this little wave that distracted his defender, that allowed the that made his defender think the ball was coming to him, that allowed the play to happen. And then 40 seconds later, or 20 seconds later, we win the game, it's over. And Jack just pumps his fist once. And we had worked, we had talked for two years about we don't get too high when we win, we don't get too low when we lose. Because of course sports is about life, right? And, and it's about how to approach life and being able to feel your emotions, but not let your emotions control you. And what I, what I want to give to that, by the way, maybe just a slight tangent on it, but I think it relates. Is this the play? Is this Boston? Yep. That's the name Boston. of the play. Okay. So this uh -huh. is key. This, this, this tangent relates really well. One of the most famous parts of NBA kind of NBA versus fandom is the Brian Scalabrini challenge. Brian Scalabrini did what was known as the Brian Scalabrini challenge. Namely, he had a bunch of people challenge him to a game on one-on-one. -on -one, and I think no one was able to score on him except for like an NBA Div 1 walk-on, right? So basically you have to be a professional basketball player because as we're agreeing, NCAA Div 1 players are professional basketball players. You have to be a professional basketball player to have any chance against Brian Scalabrini. He gets an infamous quote from that, which is, I, Brian Scalabrini, am closer to LeBron James than you are to me. Mm -hmm. But when you talk to him and he talks about being in the NBA, he says, yeah, some of it's athleticism, but he actually says a lot of the stuff you're saying about thinking and these, mic these micro moves. And he's saying, okay, when I'm defending a guy, it's not that I can outrun him. The athleticism that we're, we're not going to become tired. He's going, 
I'm going to be able to watch him and he's going to make these small movements and I'm going to adjust. And I have to, it's, it's almost like human, a human chess engine. My guy does a little flinch. I'm going to do this. You're going to do that. Um, so I had to bring this, I, I it's, it's, it's just a given Ben. I have to bring us up on every podcast, especially given the topic, Josh Waitzkin, Josh Waitzkin, another person who talks a lot about meditation, former great chess player turned into a, uh, Tai Chi competitor who won a, a, you know, one of the biggest tournaments in it. And when you hear him talk, it relates exactly what you're saying about Jack. These little things where when I'm in the moment, it's not just, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to trick my guy out. And so basically standing really close with their hands up and trying to throw each other. And he's saying, okay, well, I can try and th- I can try and trick my guy by fainting, but he's going to know I'm going to faint. So he's saying by the time he gets to be a professional, one of the best in the world, the best in the world, he, he wins, he wins titles best in the world at this. He basically, it sounds just like how you were describing Jack. I don't recall if it's in the book or after the fact, but basically, oh, you said in the book, you watch the film later. It's barely noticeable mm-hmm. where Jack mm-hmm. does this might, this tiny thing, this tiny movement that trips up his defender just enough. And by the way, that belongs in Josh Waitzkin's book where Josh Waitzkin's talking about being a competitor, about moving your hands. Jack does something that Josh Waitzkin does, who's also a meditator. Basically, these small movements where you're adjusting on the fly and what I think is key to your coaching model to be able to get there, you're saying, I'm not telling him what to do as the coach. That's the key. And that he has the mindfulness in that moment to do it because it's the biggest game ever. Everybody's cheering. The opposing coach is yelling and shouting. His, his, his guy has just moved out of position to where he's supposed to be. How does he have the mindfulness to do that? And I think you would probably argue that some of your coaching, and I'm very curious about yelling, Ben, to Zenful Ben, what, what that was like. Mm, yeah, l- l- let's talk about that. And to that point about that little wave that Jack gave, that's the power of meditation, right? The, one of the benefits of meditation is that it helps you remain present in the moment. And Jack was fully locked in, present in the moment, so that when something out of the ordinary happened, his defender didn't follow him out to the three-point line. And by the way, Jack was just the decoy on this. Jack never touches the ball. It's just he's moving to the three-point line to clear the lane for somebody else who gets the ball and scores. So, But Jack's defender, under the direction of the opposing coach, doesn't follow Jack to the three-point line. And instead of Jack like wave, crossing his arms and waving like, you know, like an airplane control person, he just gives a little subtle wave like, hey, I'm open. Not because he was telling his teammate, pass me the ball, he wanted to fool his defender into thinking that he was going to get the ball. And if he did this big exaggerated wave, that would be like a fake one, but just a small, subtle one. That's what caused the defender to go out. But that's the power of, of, of meditation. It's just being in the moment and then being able to re- re- remain calm and react to what was happening. Well, actually, let me do a slightly better job of explaining. So you, you, we yeah. talk the old model and what we hate really well. Mm-hmm. yell i'm gonna have to like by the way like you you've put crack the whip up there with a rule of thumb by the way it's something where if you look up the origins you realize ah oh, damn it so i'm gonna work mm-hmm. on pulling it out of my repertoire mm-hmm. crack the whip and rule of thumb are both two horrible phrases i'm now realizing don't don't use them mm-hmm. old coaching model video game controller right i'm controlling my guys real time and i know what to do i'm a brilliant coach and i'm just gonna trust them and let them do and so a lot of the differences that you're talking in your book about this is you, you teach meditation, which, and, which is also both about being mindful and then also kind of regulating your emotions. A huge change you make early in your coaching career, you come in and you say, look at, I'm not here to teach you the fundamentals. I expect you to know those. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you you do those on your own time. We're here to learn. And then and then funny conversely, if they don't do what you want, you say, okay, we're gonna you go. Them. We're gonna go yeah. pre fundamentals and work on running. Like, yeah. what good is that? We got an hour That's together. Stupid. Let's run. Um, stupid. Whereas you end up in the end of, as an example, the reason this play works is it's a play that you've taught them in practice. They know the play. You've taught them the fundamentals. You've taught them everything. By the time they're out there, they're ready to go. I think that's the key difference between, like I said, early Ben yelling, late Ben. Jack knows what he's doing on this play. They're going to go. What you mentioned early on in your coaching career that you noticed one game with one of your early teams that you noticed it. But like, mm. what was that process like? Because you, you talk about it in your book, but it's, it's really weird to get from point A to point B. I, I, it's, it's remarkable. Yeah, it, I mean, back to that Steve Jobs thing about you only connect the dots afterwards. So it wasn't so my last year coaching in Mississippi before I took this job at the University of Mississippi, I was tw- I, the end of that year of school year, I was, let's see, 28. And then when I took this coaching job in Namibia at this local public school, I was 39. So a big difference, you know, sort of mid to late twenties, and then almost 40 years old. And I hadn't really thought that I would ever go back to coaching. I hadn't thought about coaching much except to sort of ponder um, some of the experiences that I'd had at McLaurin as a head coach. So it wasn't like I started coaching again and I was just this zened out mindful coach that did everything right. I still made plenty of mistakes and I still on occasion would revert back to that old way. So on one of the first days of practice, not the first day, but maybe the second or third, Mike misses a practice and he comes back the next day with like a doctor's note that he had a sore throat or something. And I just yelled at him. And I look back on that with, with shame because that that's, that's not the right way to do that. That's traditional coaching and it's, it's dumb, but I was getting to know the guys and my thinking at that time was, well, I have to show them what I'm tough. I don't know. Just dumb. Right. So I I do want to be clear that it wasn't just like this light switch and I completely changed. But in those intervening 11 years, I had started meditating. It's the most helpful thing I've done as an adult. And I knew I wanted to implement meditation as soon as we started practice every day. So every day from day one, at the start of practice, we would sit and meditate for 10 minutes. And then we would do these slow motion exercises um, about the fundamentals, say pass, fake and pass or shooting motion or boxing out. We do them in slow motion without a ball. So I knew I wanted to implement those things. And then over the course of that first year, I just calmed down. And that second year, that's when it was really just Zen I'm not even going to go in the huddle. You guys lead the team and we're going to create parameters in a, in a, uh, we're going to create parameters where everybody feels empowered and we're going to lower stress and we're going to work on the fundamentals and we're going to work on team strategy and we're going to work on camaraderie. And I'm just going to sit down and watch. And, and so the key moment in, in that game uh, in when we run Boston one coach, the other coach is yelling at his players, trying to direct them just like a video game. And I write about this in the book at that key moment, when the play kind of goes a little bit sideways, a little bit pear shaped, I could have jumped up and been like, Jack, Jack, run here, Mervin, run here. 
And instead I said, I just sit there. And that was the culmination of, of my coaching career, just sitting and watching and letting what was going to happen, happen. So that is the end of part one of my conversation with Dre Alvarez. Yes, there's two parts and I'll release the second part, drop the second part on Thursday, Thursday, November 4th. So be on the lookout for that. We talk more basketball, coaching, the mechanics of writing, publishing, self-publishing, etc. And again, please consider buying my book, Zen in the Art of Coaching Basketball, Memoir of a Namibian Odyssey, available now on Amazon. Thank you.